I am Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. Today, my guest is Colleen Kinder, essayist, teacher, author, who has just published Letter to a Stranger, Essays to the Ones that Haunt Us. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Letter to a Stranger is an anthology of short letters written in the second person addressed to strangers that writers have met in passing. To begin, I'm wondering if you could tell us how you came up with the idea for this book. This book dates back to a moment in the classroom that I had at Yale many years ago. I was hosting the travel writer Pico Iyer, and I had assigned many of his extraordinary travel essays to my students and had prepared lots of questions and had prompted my students to come ready to dig into the craft of his essays. And Pico sort of took control of the seminar and told us that instead he would tell us the stories behind his assignments and that he would sort of what I call go off assignment, that he would take us uh, into the more personal side of his stories. And I was really captivated with that side story approach that he brought to my classroom. And I noticed that my students also were exceptionally engaged with this legendary writer sitting down and saying, hey, here's the thing I never put into the official story. Here's here's the secret story that I've been carrying inside of me. And so I asked him in the seminar, have you ever written this version of the story or have you ever thought about writing this version of the story? And when he said no, I detected some some bit of maybe regret or dissatisfaction. And perhaps I was projecting because I'm a writer myself who always comes home with extra stories from assignments, but it really stuck with me. And I thought there should be a home for this kind of story. And I began reaching out to fellow writers and brainstorming with them. And there was so much enthusiasm among my peers. So many people said, when I come home from an assignment, I almost always feel like there's a better story that I'm not able to tell because it doesn't fit the parameters of my official assignment. So I started working on coming up with a publication that we named Off Assignment, and Letter to a Stranger was the flagship column for that publication. It was the column that was a space for stories about interactions with people who make a mark on you that is sort of mysterious. And from the beginning, once we started gathering stories and opening to submissions, it was definitely the column that picked up the most speed. It it was, everyone seemed to have a stranger story. Curious, why is it that these stories, which it seems like everybody is really excited to tell and they're wonderful stories to read. Why is that not part of official assignments in travel writing? That's a great question. I mean, I was just speaking today with a friend who is a travel writer and she was just lamenting the fact that when you go on an assignment for a travel publication, you have to package the story ahead of time. It's like they have special issues and they're looking for you to meet their editorial needs. And you kind of have to sell the idea before you even go there, which is which is pretty wild, in my opinion, um, because as we all know that the serendipity is such a big part 
of what we discover in the world. And there's a, there's a degree of hubris and kind of control that I've never really related to with that with that structure of selling an idea before you actually go to a place. And, and I think sometimes editors at publications, you know, they have these issues in mind and they, they expect their writers to fulfill what they promised before going on an assignment. So I think there's, there's a little bit of a vacuum there. Uh, and that was what I was hoping to fill with this publication and this column. It seems also a little bit antithetical to the nature of travel too, to decide in advance what the story is going to be before you actually go there and discover that story. A hundred percent, Suzanne. I, I completely, I completely agree. And my experience with seeking out stories and traveling is always, always, always that that things are extraordinarily different than what you first imagine them to be. And it's that kind of surrender to place and to serendipity that results in your best story. Could you talk about some of the small letters that are in this book that make up Letter to a Stranger? I love the essays in this book and have spent quite a bit of time with them by this point. Some of them are the kinds of stranger stories that you might expect. Elizabeth Colbert, an environmental journalist and New Yorker contributor, wrote to uh, a Peruvian man who she encountered on an assignment in Peru uh, and somebody whose, whose spirit made a mark on her and who was puzzling to her. But other writers have taken real liberties with the notion of stranger. For example, indigenous writer Amber Meadow Adams wrote to her own grandmother, her deceased grandmother, who was forcibly educated at the Mohawk School in Ontario. And she visited the grounds of that school and wrote a really moving and transporting and devastating letter to her grandmother, who she connected with on that journey. So you get the whole gamut in this book. You get taxi drivers, you get um, folks met on subways, you get uh, um, somebody at the Rwandan uh, border who surprised Ted Conover while he was on assignment in that part of the world, but also some, some figures who perhaps fit the, the definition of stranger less obviously. Rachel Yoder, the novelist Rachel Yoder, wrote to a man who stalked her in high school in an essay that is falls towards the end of the book and is, is quite a surprising story. And the very first letter to a stranger that knocked my socks off in terms of showcasing to me just how capacious this form could be and how wide-ranging the submissions we would get were, was a submission by Carlin Houghton. And she wrote to a baby that she miscarried while on a road trip in upstate New York. And it's a stunning essay. It was chosen for, or it was shortlisted for Best American Essays in 2017, I believe. And it, it really assured me that writers can do so much with this form and that I would be endlessly surprised by what came my way as soon as I opened the door to these essays. So based on this idea that you had, you co-founded Off Assignment, which is 
a nonprofit reading series and magazine devoted to, as you describe it, the personal narratives that lurk behind every news story. What do personal narratives add to our understanding of people and places that's different from more traditional travel writing or even news stories? Mm. That's such a huge and important question. And the essay in this book that came to mind instantly when you said that was a piece set in Afghanistan that was written by um, Jamil John Kochai, a novelist. He is Afghani and he wrote about an encounter with somebody who he assumed to be a member of the Taliban from far away. And then he ended up having this really warm, really almost like familial like exchange with the stranger. And it, it, the way he wrote the letter was almost as like an apology, like, um, I'm sorry that I perceived you to be such a threat when it turns out you knew my family and we really connected. And I recently wrote to Jamil and said, you know, I really have no words for what's happening in Afghanistan, but you've been on my mind and your family is on my mind. And that essay that you wrote as a letter to a stranger has made me able to feel present and connected to Afghanistan in a way that I couldn't otherwise. And I really think that these stories of human encounters that we can all find an entryway into, these these stories that focus on really basic human emotions, fear, surprise, affection, um, lust. Also, there are some great love stories in this book and stories of misconnections, which we all have in spades. Um, but I think that that stories about two people and the emotions that pass between them and the, and the kind of messaging that happens between two people, even if they don't know each other's names, are so accessible to all of us and, and just enormously relatable. I've heard it said before that we sometimes tell truths to strangers that we can't tell to people who know us. I'm wondering if you think that's true. And also, what is it about strangers that creates that kind of intimacy, do you think? I love that question because I absolutely think it's true. And I think when I started this column, I would have expected the majority of letter to a stranger essays to be about precisely that. And I think I've been surprised that, that no, that, that, that people are writing to strangers to cover all sorts of human emotions and experiences. Um, and a couple people in the book, um, Anjali Sachdeva, a novelist did write about that in the book. She wrote an awesome letter to a man that she met at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, who she felt this like aperture with um, while his family was lagging behind. And she had this, this really sacred few minutes with him where they talked about what it means to have kids and how once you have kids, there's no going back. It's like, jumping off of a cliff, which um, I think is a wonderfully appropriate metaphor for a setting of the Grand Canyon. But um, that essay resounds with me so much because that's always been my experience when I travel. I feel like if I'm in a cab with a driver who's taking me to the airport and I'm full of emotion, I can talk about that about anything with that person, because chances are I'll never see them again. And I think I've always been 
drawn to those opportunities for spontaneous and acute candor um, that doesn't have wide ramifications. You know, no, nobody's going to circle back and say, oh, you said to that guy on the subway in 1992 that X, Y, Z, right? Like these are, these are things that, um, that you don't sort of have to deal with much fallout for. And I think that's a big part of why that intimacy exists because you feel like you're almost almost like you're slipping a note into somebody's back pocket and then just walking away. Mm. I know that you have traveled a lot and written a lot about your travels and, and also living in other countries. Why in your travels do you think it's important to connect with people and places outside of your immediate circle of family and friends? Mm-hmm. When I think about that question in my current life, I think about being a woman in the Middle East. My husband and I spend about six months out of the year in Egypt. And Egypt was a place that the first time I visited, I was just so confronted with gender issues and the differences between cultures and felt very viewed as a Western woman and and, and maybe seen unfavorably as being a Western woman on her own. And I think about the distance I've traveled since then, just by living in a small community in Luxor, Egypt and talking to people and sitting around the fire and learning some Arabic. My Arabic teacher was a young woman who was pregnant at the same time as I was. So we would, you know, sit around and search for the words for heartburn in Arabic and connect on all these amazing levels. I think it just, people from the other side of the world and from vastly different cultures and upbringings can all of a sudden feel like, like family and, and just like the people, you know, from home, um, they can feel so familiar if you create the space for those stories and those connections and those those one-on-one conversations I think are incredibly important. You also teach travel writing. I'm wondering how travel writing is different or similar to other kinds of, of writing, for example, creative nonfiction or just straight up journalism. Well, more and more, I migrate away from the term travel writing and frame what I teach as writing about place, because I think travel writing, travel writing is a very fraught space. I mean, we could probably talk for 40 minutes on that, on that alone about the responsibility that comes with writing about a culture that you weren't born into and a culture that, um, at least from the outset, is, is alien to you. Um, but I think... I think one of the things that was exciting to me about starting off assignment and opening the letter to a stranger column and working on the letter to a stranger book ultimately was that I could beckon poets and fiction writers and novelists, um, playwrights, all these different kinds of writers into this space in which they would be writing about place. And so it was almost like like smashing the silo that is travel writing and saying, we all have stories about these moments in which we 
left home, were in an unfamiliar place, and then had moments of connection. Um, let's let's hear from everyone. Let's hear from our favorite fiction writers. Let's hear from, um, I mean, Lauren Groff has an essay in this book. Uh, I mentioned Rachel Yoder, another fiction writer, Peter Orner, so many extraordinary fiction writers in this book, and also reporters who tend to write, like Elizabeth Colbert tends to write more straightforward um, magazine features. It was so exciting to get a more personal essay from her. So I think I think what's exciting to me is is kind of pushing back the walls and saying like this isn't an exclusive space just for people who've who've written for travel magazines. Everyone has a story that they can offer here. What do you teach writers about how to observe place and people? One thing that I would say I push as gospel in writing about place is to go alone to a place, to really extend yourself to the place, divorce yourself from conversation with other people, obligation to other people. I mean, yes, there has been some great writing that's been done about travels with my dad or, you know, travels with a partner. But I think there's something, I think when we go to a new place, we really owe it our full quality of attention. And I think the best thing you can possibly do is, is, is go alone and devote yourself to your notes and your notebook and to let observation beget observation beget observation, like just extend your noticing muscle muscles and allow that spell to, to take over. I really, I'm a believer that once you go to a place and start taking notes and commit to observations, that there's fierce momentum to that, that you can kind of get yourself into this fugue state um, that is so ripe for storytelling and can really enable you to notice granular details that otherwise in your daily landscape or if you were walking down the street with another person would just escape your notice. Mm. You know, it strikes me in reading some of these stories about strangers that we're also learning quite a bit about the person writing the story, perhaps much more than about the stranger. How does a writer or any person become aware of their own cultural biases and assumptions? Hmm. Well, I think that's a lifelong process. I mean, I really, I really do. One of the things I love about teaching writing is that I think it, it keeps me, it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me learning in a way that like, I think we all know that about travel. Like, you know, you go somewhere new, of course you have to learn the culture from scratch. You have to learn the language and the subway rules and the street directions, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I think it's been more of a discovery for me with teaching that, you know, kind of the older I get, the more distance I get from college, the more I feel like I have to learn. And, and the more I feel like I learn from my students because there's a wider generational gap. Um, sometimes even just the language they use like keeps me on my toes. So I think that 
learning your own biases, it just has to be a constant process. And I think that going somewhere new and throwing yourself into an unknown is one of the most extraordinary catalysts you can, you can get. I mean, I feel so strongly about the power of study abroad. And, um, I teach Yale students who very often are very, um, let's say kind of, they have this like sacrosanct attitude about like, oh, well, I got into this Ivy league school. I need to get every semester here. And I always say to them, the difference between seven semesters at Yale and eight semesters at Yale is negligible, but to be a human being who knows a foreign culture or a foreign language intimately changes who you are as a human being. So go abroad. How do you think it changed you? Oh gosh. I mean, I still think in Spanish sometimes I, I only spent a few years of my life living in Spanish but I find that language so beautiful. And there, there still are phrases that feel better made for the human experience that feel like they enable me to better articulate a thought or an emotion. I think that, you know, when I read the news and hear about whether it's extreme rains in China or a financial collapse in Iceland, I'm so much more connected to those human realities and what that actually means to people because I've walked streets in those places because I've, I've had conversations with citizens of those countries. So I think it feels pretty connected to my global empathy. And I think um, that's, that's like an ongoing thing. I mean, we're just, endlessly being hit with devastating news stories of places that are on the other side of the world. And I think I don't travel as much now because I'm a mom of a 15 month year old baby, but, um, but I will forever be drawing on that travel history because those, those places just don't feel alien to me. They feel, they feel familiar because of the time that I've put in and, um, yeah. And I met my husband while I was in Egypt. So there's that. <laughs> that was a game changer. <laughs> and it also strikes me that when you have names and faces for people, it changes how you understand the impact that different news events have. We can feel like we know that person or we know people in that place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And whether it is, whether you're reading about somebody dying because their basement apartment was flooded or, um, you know, some sort of violence in a, in a foreign country, like it's those, it's those individual human stories, those, those people, those faces that allow you that point of entry. Mm-hmm. One thing I really appreciate about this collection of letters is the recognition of the importance of strangers and the importance of crossing paths with people that we may know only in a moment. Since we have been in a global pandemic, we haven't had as much opportunity to connect with strangers. 
not only in this country, but worldwide. What do you think the impact of that is? I lament that, I have to say, Suzanne, that I even find it sad that when I'm in a drugstore and I am having a, a conversation with the person behind the counter, I can't see their smile or they can't see the, the nuances of, of what I'm doing with my face. I think that even when we do have encounters with strangers in the current moment, things feel a little compromised uh, for, for lack of facial expression and also human touch. So I think this is such a different moment. And, and what are the ramifications of that? How do you quantify what we've lost? I don't know, but I, I can say that those rare moments in the past two years, when I have had those encounters with strangers, they feel like explosive and radiant. And, and, and to use a word that Leslie Jameson used in the introduction to the book, like a supernova of, of meaning, like just this, this comment that's coming at me. And the person who comes to mind actually is the woman. And I, I had our baby in Buffalo, New York, because that's, uh, I still have healthcare in the States. I'm, I'm in the process of getting PR status in Canada, but we had our baby in Buffalo, New York, and we're renting a house. And, you know, when you're pregnant, like it, it's such an amazing way to connect with strangers because everyone's like, oh, when are you due? And blah, blah, blah. And wants to tell you stories of, of their kids and wants to know the gender and blah, blah, blah. But I had so little of that. I mean, so little of that. And I lamented it. But there was a woman who was always out on her front stoop, two doors down from us uh, where we were renting a house. And she would see us go by with the baby and, and she had this like raspy smoker's cough and she would always call out something and was so friendly with us. And she's just, she's a part of the landscape of this rich period of my life. And I can't even tell you what her name is right now. And she, she symbolized to me just like the, the distant way that strangers were engaging during the pandemic, but also the way in which every now and again, someone would rear their head up and be like, I see you person. Like I'm not part of your germ circle. You will never know my name, but I see you and you see me. And um, here we are human beings on this earth. <laughs> what do you hope people will take away from reading this book? I hope that this book gives people space for reflection about their own lives. I think that there's something really magical about sitting down with a book in print. And this Letter to a Stranger project started online and it gained force online. And I'm so grateful to the internet for that. And we have an amazing archive of Letter to a Stranger stories on off assignment. But I think that there's going to be something really meaningful and singular about people taking this particular collection of stories and sitting with it and having a moment and thinking about who in their own lives might they write a letter to. Um, and it's, it's thrilling to me when people read a letter to a stranger or they hear the premise of the book and they say, you know, I have... I have a story like that, or I have a bunch of stories like that. Let me start and think about that. And I think that we're so used to 
thinking about the major players in our life when we reflect and you know, even if you look at obituaries and the way they're formatted, you know, it starts with family members and then sometimes other people are mentioned, but, but we're, we're so, we're so conditioned to think about the people who've impacted us as being, as being these, these big nameable public figures. And I think the reality is a lot of us are shaped at pretty pivotal moments by people who aren't nameable and who maybe don't even have a face that we can sketch in memory, but who made their mark. And I think that's that's a really exciting project for all of us to, to take into our own lives and histories. Today, my guest has been essayist, teacher, and editor, Colleen Kinder, talking about her book, Letter to a Stranger, Essays to the Ones That Haunt Us. If listeners want to find out more about your work, where can they go? Well, I have a website, um, as as do most all writers these days. And I also do, I continue to do work for the Letter to a Stranger column at Off Assignment. I'm the executive director there. And um, we love hearing from readers of the Letter to a Stranger column, and we love getting submissions. We still publish Letter to a Stranger essays and plan to for the foreseeable future. So be in touch and send us your stories. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Suzanne. It was a pleasure. I'm Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. Each week, I bring you interviews with women writers, artists, and activists who are reimagining the world. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and let us know what you think by leaving a comment. Thanks so much for listening.